Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today as we look into our final lesson, lesson number 10 of our One in Messiah series, celebrating our Jewish heritage. And so today we actually want to talk about celebrating our Jewish heritage and consider the wrap-up of the future in regard to this Jewish heritage and our being grafted in and what is the future for the Jewish people. As just a matter of review, I'd like to take a few minutes and just go back over a few key points of the prior lessons. In the earlier lessons, we defined some things. We defined the Jewish heritage. We defined who is a Jew, who is a Gentile. We talked about the need for this class in the sense that the Western church especially needs to understand our connection to the Jewish heritage and the Jewish roots of our faith. We talked about understanding the Jews' background and the resistance that they have to the gospel, how they are brought up in school to believe that Jesus is not the Messiah, how there are anti-Semitism things that are happening to them and have for many years that have turned them against Christians and Christianity, including things like the Holocaust and other major abuses that were done in the name of the Savior that we serve that have nothing whatsoever to do with the Savior that I serve. We talked about their current condition and how they are placed under a curse of blindness, according to Paul, because of the rejection of the Messiah who came to his people and his people received him not. And so we saw how the the fig tree was cursed in Jesus' day. And we see how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 9 through 11 as the olive tree branches that have been broken off because of their rejection of Messiah. And so therefore a curse of blindness has been placed upon them. However, that curse of blindness is temporary and partial for all who will turn to Christ because that veil of blindness is removed when someone turns to Christ. Paul wrote that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Eventually, in the tribulation time period, in a time to come, this curse will be removed for all the remnant nation that will be alive at that time. We talked about the Messianic Jewish movement where Jews now, today, and have been for maybe the last 40, 50, 100 years coming to Jesus. Now it's just in much more massive numbers. Praise be to God for that. We talked about how to reach the Jewish people. How can Christians, especially Gentile Christians, Gentile believers, reach Jewish people effectively for Jesus Christ? And we looked at how we need to show Jesus in their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. We need to be able to show them in the Tanakh that Jesus is there. Jesus did this very thing on two occasions on the very same day in Luke chapter 24. 
He was with the two on the road back to Emmaus. In that time, when they had been returning from the temple on the morning of the Feast of Firstfruits. And then he also did it with his disciples later on. The Bible says that he took them beginning at Moses through the prophets and through the Psalms, and he showed them himself in the Tanakh. We also see John's disciples coming to Jesus with John's question. And in that passage, what did Jesus do? He directed them back to the Old Testament, to Messianic prophecies about the Messiah. And he told John, compare those to what you see, to what your disciples have seen and can testify is being fulfilled. And he also directed him to the prophetic word that said, don't be offended in me. So now I want us to talk a little bit more in detail about the future for the Jews. It's imperative that we do all that we can to reach Jewish and Gentile people for Jesus. We are running out of time, beloved friend, for whatever ministry God has for us. Jesus is coming back soon. And so we as the church, both Jewish and Gentile believers, must get busy about the Father's work. We need to be pouring ourselves in to the spreading of the good news of Jesus and the making of disciples exactly like he said. We need to be evangelizing the world both Jew and Gentile, and for the Jewish people, that will include us being able to connect the dots from the Old Testament to show them Jesus and his fulfillment of their prophecies in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh. We need to help connect the puzzle pieces for them. We need to be involved to some degree in the Messianic movement as well, trying and seeking to bring all that we can to Jesus both Jew or Gentile, for that matter. For the Jews, I want us to understand a few things, and this is just a rough overview. There's much more detail to go into of the prophetic elements of the end times and the times to come that are not far away from us. But I'd like to give you what I believe Scripture does give us in terms of some overview and specifically focusing in on what that means for the Jewish people to come. First of all, the Lord promised to come for his church. He has promised to deliver us from the wrath to come. So I do believe in a rapture of the church. And then after that, there will usher in a time that typically we refer to as the tribulation. Now the tribulation, we need to understand, has two primary purposes. First of all, it is for the salvation of the Jewish people people as a nation. And secondly, it is for God to pour out his righteous judgment and wrath on the world of unbelievers that are standing with their fist in God's face, refusing to repent and mocking him, blatantly, openly rebelling against him and making a mockery of everything that is sacred and everything of God. God will judge that in time, beloved friend. It may be seeming like it's prospering right now, but there is coming a day when God in heaven will have his way, he will have his say, and he will have his day. 
and all of that will be judged and justice and righteousness will be instituted by the Lord himself. The tribulation is also for the salvation of the Jewish nation. Now I want us to understand some things about this time period of the tribulation. It is known to be, from scripture, the worst time this world has ever seen, will ever see again. So let's look at some scriptures that tell us some details about this situation and how it affects the Jewish people. The first place I want us to look is Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 1 through 11. And it says this, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Now this we are seeing in our day, and this has been going on for about the last hundred years, specifically since 1948. And the Jews are coming back today in droves from different places around the world. And so that is called Aliyah. God is drawing them back home. And some of them that are coming home may not even know why they're coming home. But God is fulfilling this and it is happening even now as God is setting it up for them for the tribulation time when he's going to pour out upon the Jewish nation and save his people. Verse 4, continuing. Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins, like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. God is drawing them back home. And according to this passage, we see the tribulation time that is coming called the time of Jacob's trouble. It will be that time of salvation for the Jews and punishment of the rebels in the nations. But it's going to be a time of travail. There will be fear and trouble, not real peace, not sincere peace. It will be a time of this tribulation when an antichrist will rise, a pseudo-Christ or a false Christ, and he will wreak great havoc in the earth. 
Revelation, Zechariah, Daniel, many other places tell us much more in detail about that. And I have covered much of that in other episodes, and I plan to do a prophecy series as well in coming days. But this passage is telling us there's coming that time called the time of Jacob's trouble. And during that time, God is going to work on behalf of the Jewish people and bring them back to their land and draw them back to him. It is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. Then we have another passage that tells it to us and explains even more in detail. And we want to look at that one next. And that one is in the book of Daniel. This is referred to as Daniel's 70th week. And this is another prophetic word about this time period that we call the tribulation that will be specifically for the Jewish people and drawing them back to their God. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, it says this, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. He's talking to Daniel. The message is coming to Daniel. Daniel's people, even though Daniel's in Babylon, Daniel's people are the Jewish people. Daniel's holy city is Jerusalem. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Two, finish the transgression to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, or in other words, to complete it, to bring it to its closure, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end of the war desolations are determined. Then... He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So let me try to bring this to you in a nutshell and break it down for you. This tells us a lot, and there's much to unpack here but I want us to get a general overview of it this evening. First of all, we're told here that this is a prophetic word to the Jewish people, Daniel's people, and concerning Daniel's city, Jerusalem, the holy city of God. We're told here that there would be seven weeks plus 62 weeks. Now, Daniel's prophetic word here is talking about weeks of years. So in other words, it's a seven-year week. The week is defined as a total of seven years. So there will be 69 periods of seven years each from the time that the word goes out to rebuild Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity comes to an end and the Jews are released to go back and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the prince until Messiah 
is presented to Israel as their king, and he is hailed as their king. That happened on one day in Jesus' life and ministry, and it was when he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So he rides in, Messiah the Prince is announced. Remember the people, the common people were welcoming him and calling out the messianic cry to him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we know that was the messianic cry because all the Pharisees and religious people were trying to get him to shut up. Don't let them cry that to you. Jesus shut them up is what they were saying because they knew it was the messianic cry and they would not receive Jesus as the Messiah. But Jesus came in fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy, riding on the donkey exactly like Zechariah had said. Then we're told here in Daniel's prophecy that after that, Messiah the prince will be cut off. That means he will be slain or killed. And he was. Messiah was crucified. Jesus willingly died. We're told here in Daniel that the Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. In other words, he doesn't deserve it. It's not something he did that he is being killed for. He is dying, but he's dying an innocent death in the sense that he did not commit the crime he's being accused of and being killed for. Then we find out from Daniel's prophecy that there's going to be a gap of time because during that gap of time, the people of the prince that is to come, the one that came that was part of Daniel's earlier prophecy, meaning the Roman Empire, would come and they would lay siege and they would bring an end, destroying the city and the sanctuary. And they did just that. The Romans came in 70 AD, burned the city and the sanctuary, and the Jewish people have never been able to have all of that restored as yet. And that will continue until the end of the war. These desolations are determined. So there's going to come a period of time when that season will end. And during this gap of time is what we are living in right now. And we typically call it the church age. So this 70th week then talks about when this time will end and there will come one who will rise up. He is called here the prince of the people who is to come, meaning that he's going to come from the original Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire was split into an eastern and a western leg, exactly like Daniel prophesied. It, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar that he saw, and Daniel gives the interpretation of that, had two legs and had two different feet. And so the Eastern and the Western empires of the Roman Empire had that split. So from one of those two will come this prince of the people to come that we know and refer to as the Antichrist or the Pseudo-Christ or the False Christ during this time of the tribulation. So the 70th week speaks of this tribulation time. Now, in this tribulation, we see that he's going to originally 
sign or confirm, the word means to make strong, can be an existing covenant, can be a brand new one. We don't know for sure, but there's going to be a covenant that will establish a seven-year treaty, promise, pledge of some kind. And we believe that during those first three and a half years in, there's going to be some degree of peace, some degree of allowance for the Jewish people, for instance, to build their third temple. That is going to be done. We know that it will happen for several reasons, but there are a few prophecies that will definitely prove that to us. One is found in Revelation 11, which is also referring us back to an Old Testament prophecy about the rebuilding of the temple. And we also see that even here in Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9, that there will be something that happens in the middle of that week in the temple. Three and a half years in, the Antichrist will stop the sacrifices and will institute this abomination that brings desolation, similar to what Antiochus Epiphanes did in the intertestamental period between the Old Testament's ending and the New Testament's beginning. He's going to institute a mark of the beast, an image of the beast, etc. And at that point, Jesus affirms that that will happen. And at that moment, Jesus said, flee, get out of Dodge, flee to the wilderness. Don't even go back downstairs in your house to get your belongings. Get out of town. Run for your lives. And God is going to have a place prepared for them where they will be cared for. And the scriptures give us different prophetic words about that time period for them. But the only one that I really want to focus on tonight in this particular study is in Hosea chapter 2. I want us to look at this one because this clearly tells us what God is going to fulfill and accomplish with them fleeing to the wilderness. What is the flight of to the wilderness? What's it all about? Why do they have to go there? What is its purpose? Hosea chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, says this, And Hosea was a prophet. And in verse 14, it says this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. This is talking about Jerusalem and the Jewish people as the her. Therefore, behold, I will allure the Jewish people. I will allure my people, the Jews. I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beast of the fields, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. 
I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, and with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, You are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. So the purpose of the Jews having to flee to the wilderness is given to us right here in Hosea's prophetic word. God will allure them back to himself in the wilderness. Many people believe that that might be Petra. The Bible calls it Basra in several places. And we know it to be in some near vicinity in the land of Edom somewhere. And we have many other prophecies we can look at about that. But the purpose is during this time, this last three and a half years, God is going to allure his people back to himself. And at that time, at the end, is when we will see the fulfillment of several other prophecies, such as one that Jesus himself gave in Matthew chapter 23, Verses 37 through 39, Jesus said, because they refused him, he said, how often I wanted to bring you under my wing like a hen would brood over her young, but you would not. So therefore, your house is left to you desolate, and you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. And that day is coming, beloved friend, and it will be at the end of this time in the wilderness for the nation of Israel, the remaining nation of Israel, the remnant. And in that day, then Zechariah's prophecy in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 through 14, will also be fulfilled because they will look on him whom they have pierced and they will then receive him as their Messiah, recognizing, realizing he is their Messiah and they will mourn in sincere repentance. So what we're talking about now is this end of the 70th week. At the end of this last three and a half years, when the Jews have been holed up under the divine protection and provision of the Lord to allure them back to him. At the end of that, Jesus' second coming happens. He comes back. He comes back in response to their cry in Petra or in Basra, whichever place it is. Maybe maybe Basra is the Old Testament name for that location. I don't know. But Jesus will come back again. He will reveal himself to his people. He will answer their cry. He will cleanse them from their iniquity. Where the prophetic word says he's going to cleanse them of all their iniquity in one day. In that day, Jesus' second coming will be when God is going to have completed the work that Daniel prophesied here. He's going to bring in that complete atonement for his people. He's going to save them. He's going to rescue them. Then he's going to stand at the Mount of Olives and defeat all of his enemies, just like Revelation chapter 19 says, at the final battle that we typically refer to as Armageddon. We call it that. The Bible calls it the battle at the Valley of Jehoshaphat, according to Joel chapter 3. And it will be right there in that Kidron Valley. God is going to bring the armies of the Antichrist and his enemies down to that valley. 
He's going to speak the word, release the sword from his mouth, and speak the word that will destroy them. And he will then be the victor. At that point, he is going to ascend his throne in Jerusalem. And oh, beloved friend, how beautiful. We will all be celebrating, dancing around, praising God as Jesus enters his city. And this prophetic word is then fulfilled. Psalm chapter 24, beginning in verse 7. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Remember, he's just now defeated every one of his enemies there in the Valley of Jehoshaphat in that Kidron area. The Lord was mighty in battle with just his word to defeat his enemy. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up you everlasting doors. It's talking about those eastern gates at the Temple Mount. They will finally fling open for the King of Glory. And the King of Glory shall come in. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord of Hosts. He is the King of Glory. Praise God. And on that day, we are all going to be there rejoicing with the Jewish remnant that has been saved, and Jesus will be ascending his throne to rule and reign. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. The Jews as a nation, all who will believe in him then, the remnant that is remaining, will believe and will be saved. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. We know that Jesus is going to them in Basra. We know that he's going to wipe away their iniquities. And the Bible says he's going to tread the winepress of Almighty God alone, according to Isaiah chapter 63. And then he's going up to the Mount of Olives, defeat his enemies, and we're going into the kingdom in his reign in Jerusalem as he will ascend his throne. Praise be to God. And the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the kingdom age, will begin a thousand years in Jerusalem with Satan bound. Then at the end of that, he will have his final victory and cast Satan into the lake of fire forever. There will be the great white throne judgment and the eternal state will begin. Now that's a whole overview of many things in summary form that are yet to come. But I want us to hone in on this, the need and the purpose for Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. All of them will be fulfilled. So I'd like to go back to that for just a few minutes as we begin to draw to a close. In Daniel chapter 9, we must remember, verse 24 tells us the entirety of the purpose for this whole 70 weeks of years. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to do these six things. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up or complete all vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. A few of these were fulfilled at Jesus' first coming. I see the first three that you could say have been fulfilled by Jesus in his first coming. He did finish the transgression. In other words, he ended the power 
of sin for all who will believe. He died on the cross as the final and complete payment for transgression for all sin. He came to make an end of sins. He did. He defeated the enemy and the power of sin in our lives on the cross, and he made reconciliation for iniquity, reconciling us back to God, according to Paul in the New Testament. But there's three that remain. He has not yet brought in everlasting righteousness. He has not yet sealed up vision and prophecy. There's still some that are yet to be fulfilled, that are unfulfilled at this moment. And he has not yet anointed the most holy because the kingdom temple, the temple that will be there, has not yet been erected in Jerusalem. So there are still some remaining. These will be completed on that day in Jesus' second coming. When he comes to Basra, he saves his people. He goes to Jerusalem and he fights there at the, in that battle and he defeats his enemy and then he ascends the throne. In that moment, every one of these six things will be completed exactly as Daniel prophesied that they would be. So let's understand these 70 weeks of seven years each, bringing it to a total of 490 years. The Bible tells us there'll be seven and 62, so there'll be 69. Then Messiah comes, and then Messiah is cut off. This is what the prophecy says. So there is one remaining week that God owes, so to speak, to the nation of Israel. What happened between 69 and 70? We have a gap. This gap is called the church age. It is that time in Revelation referring to the church from Revelation, the end of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 3. It's called the church age by most. That's typically what we refer to it as. And it's the time when Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. It's the time when Jesus is now using the church to reach the world with the gospel. He had told the Jewish people who rejected him, I'm taking the kingdom from you and I'm going to give it to the nation that will bring its fruit. And although we're not a nation politically, we are in the world, but not of the world. We're a subset of people strewn all throughout the world, all of us who will believe in Jesus and be born again of the Spirit of the living God by receiving Him by faith. And all of us throughout the world comprise that people that Jesus called His church. And so after God has completed His work through the church, then Daniel's 70th week will begin. Now, why is it important that there be 490 years? It's the years, it's 70 weeks, totaling 490 years. 70 times seven. I wanna give you an idea to consider that I believe is true. I believe it fits. We know that nothing in scripture is by accident. Every single thing that the Bible says connects together and supports one another and has a purpose, a high purpose. In Matthew chapter 18, I want to present something to you. Why is it 490? Why is it 70 times 7? Matthew chapter 18, 
I want us to look at verse 21 and 22. And we're going to consider something from good old Peter again. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Good old Peter. He's thinking, boy, if I do seven times, man, that's a whole lot. Surely, surely that'll be enough. Surely Jesus will praise me. That's a great thing. Seven times? Verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven, but up to seventy times seven. Why did Jesus use seventy times seven? Was it accidental? Was it incidental? Now, could he have been referring, and could there be application, that in essence he's saying as many times as it is necessary? Well, yes, that could be an application. But I do believe that Jesus knew why the 70 times 7 was so important. 70 times 7 is 490. Daniel had prophesied about 490 years and that in the completion of that, Jesus will have completed everything he had promised to his people, the Jewish people, by the end of that, he will have brought in everything for them, including salvation for the remnant nation of the Jewish people. Jesus never asks us to do anything he won't do himself. So by the end of that 490 years, the Jewish people will be saved and their iniquities and their sins will be forgiven. Jesus set this as a pattern here for complete forgiveness, 70 times 7, when he responded to Peter. And by the end of that 490 years, the Jewish people as a nation will come to him. God's got a wonderful future for the remaining Jews. But we need to also understand this very, very important fact and this prophetic word as well, which applies to us today in what we can take away from this. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7 through 9, it says this, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Now, we know that this is applying to Jesus, because Jesus himself applied it in the Gospels, as did the apostles when they wrote the Gospels. We know that this is talking about when Jesus would be betrayed and captured and all of the disciples would then scatter away. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two thirds in it shall be cut off and die. But one third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, This is my people, and each one will say, The Lord is my God. So 
Zechariah's prophetic word here is telling us that during this time that we call the tribulation, two-thirds of the Jewish people will be killed. They will die. And God will bring one-third through it, even though it will be through fire and great tribulation persecution for them. Now, the point is this, and this is the takeaway. I'll never forget, Olivier Melnick is the one that I heard this from the first time. His wife brought this point out to him. He testifies, and he talks about how this is a ratio, not a specific number. In other words, Zechariah's prophecy here is about two-thirds that will die and one-third that will survive. Okay? Now, it's not like he said that there will be 10,000 that will die and 5,000 that will live or 1 million that will die and 500,000 that will live or whatever. It's not a real whole number. It's two-thirds of whatever the number is and one-third remaining of whatever the original number was. The point being this, I believe that the scriptures teach that we, the church, comprised of Jewish and Gentile believers, will be removed from the earth. We will be gathered to the Lord when he comes for his church prior to this time called the tribulation. And when that time of wrath comes, everyone who has believed in Jesus prior to that, we are lifted out. We are not here for that. And I believe that includes both Jewish and Gentile believers who comprise the entirety of the church. So therefore, if we can bring every one of the Jewish people, or if we can bring many of the Jewish people, or if we can bring some of the Jewish people to Jesus, we can help reduce that number of people who will die and who will be lost because it's a percentage, not an actual number. In other words, if there is, let's say, a million of them, and we can reach 500,000 of them, then we've now reduced the number that would die during the tribulation because we've reduced the original number down because those 500,000 won't be a part of that number to begin with. They'll be going to be with Jesus forever, as Paul has promised us. So my point is this, we've got to do our part, and that is to try to reach the Jewish people in any way and every way that we can with the truth of the gospel of Jesus by helping them see Jesus in the Tanakh and helping them understand that Jesus is their Messiah. He's the one that came to save them. He's the one that came to redeem them. He's the one that came to give to them eternal life. If they will but turn to him, he'll remove the curse of blindness and he will take those broken olive tree branches and he will graft them in again. So I pray that this has been a blessing to you and that this entire study has helped you in some way to prepare to reach Jewish people, to pray for them. Every one of us can do that. Pray for them. 
do, do like Paul did. He said, my prayer for Israel is that they be saved. So let's grab hold and pray like Paul prayed. And let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem as we're told to do. And let's pray that they'll come to realize Yeshua, the Messiah, so that we all then become one in Messiah, celebrating our Jewish heritage with them. In Jesus' name, I pray that. And if you know Jewish people, if you can minister to them, perhaps you are a Jewish person. I hope that through this study, you've been able to see Yeshua in the Tanakh and that you've been blessed and you've been brought to him. That's my desire. And I pray that we can then fulfill the work of the church to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to all the world, to every nation, and to seek by the grace of God to bring it to them in such a way that they can receive it. And we are making disciples of all the nations, including Israel. I pray that these have been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again in our other series and other messages brought to you through Covenant Truth Ministries. I pray God's blessings on you. Thank you for being with me in this journey. I hope through this study that we have accomplished the goal of exploring, which brought to us understanding, which brought to us appreciation, causing us to celebrate our Jewish heritage. I pray God's blessings on you. Thank you for being with me in this journey. And may the Lord bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.